0: Please follow in the reading of the word of God. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time and though now absent, I said in advance to those who had sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul, the power of the Apostle Paul that you poured into him through your spirit. Father, may we take comfort from this man, the suffering for the gospel that he endured. And yet, Father, the wonder of his life. is a reflection of his Lord and Savior. Father, may it become the passion of your people. To be imitators of Paul, as he is imitator of you. Help us, Father, to understand this section. Help us to understand the importance of the day. And Father, help us to understand that we are in a war that uh, is unrelenting. Help us, my King, my Lord, my Savior, Christ and Christ alone. Amen. We are actually in a, a section that started at the end of verse 19, actually verse 19, and goes to the end of the letter. And the whole section, I call it the process of sanctification. The, the process of holiness. The process of being set apart. And we started into it in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 12. On the first step, step one in sanctification, was repentance. Was repentance. and And then now we've moved into... Step two of sanctification is discipline. And uh, discipline in this day and age is uh, pretty much non-existent. One of the things is, here in Castle Rock, we have 54 evangelical churches. If you were to be disciplined by a congregation, you can go to a different church every Sunday for over a year. And then you'll learn that there are some in this church who could care less about your life or your lifestyle and uh, as just as long as you support their ministry. And yet the issue that is at hand, and I started on this last week, what was our motive for discipline? And our motive is first and foremost, be holy for I am holy. If you go through the Old Testament and you read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and, and you start going through that, and I mean, there's some strange stuff in there. Don't eat this. Don't eat. The one that is always fascinating to me. Do not wear wool and cotton together. But what about spandex? But but what you find is, is those rules and regulations was because he had a people called by his name who were to be set apart. Set apart. All right? We think about God. He is holy. What is God holy? He is set apart. You know what that means? He ain't like us. I mean, it's that simple. Uh, his ways are not our ways. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The term that we translate word is logos. That is the word we get logic from. In the beginning was logic. The logic was with God. The logic was God. And then there's us. All right, and I don't need to elaborate on that. God's desire for His people, the bride of Christ, okay, we're not Israel, we are the bride of Christ. All right, is, some people will call it purity, all right, I prefer holiness, holiness we are to be set apart from the world one of the great tragedies that i have seen in the evangelical community and it is growing and it crosses all denominations it crosses all boundaries is they don't want to be set apart from the world they want you to be comfortable in the world they want you and they want the world to be comfortable with them Now, they claim that it is grace and love that they are doing that. But it's not. God's desire for the church, the people of the church, is to be set apart. To be holy. I shared with you that we have two issues that we deal with. I dealt with this with with repentance. Is that one is us. It's, it's, it's what we do to cause division. Verse 20, he talks about, in chapter 12, he says, There's strife and jealousy and angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, and disturbances. Okay? That's us. That's what we do. Okay? You've been in churches, or some of us have been in churches, where that has been there. Paul warned Timothy in Ephesus that men will be lovers of themselves. And then he concludes they'll have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. He's talking about the church. The church has a bunch of people in it who right now could care less about their lives. They don't care what their lifestyle is. They don't care whether they separate from the world or not. They look just like the world. They'll put a little fish thing on their car. But they still drive like a maniac. Okay, so I know the car is saved. I've never seen anything like it, but we have all of these things that the world does. And we are trying to entice the world. Maybe if we can get the world to like us, they'll like our Jesus. That ain't what it's about, people. Also, in verse 21, repentance, he says that there is impurity, immorality, and sensuality. And they have practiced what happens now our relationships. Once I get focused on myself, then what happens to your relationship? You know, selfish people are just a peach to be around. You ever been around them? They're so encouraging that they just make you want to spend more time with them. So why are we motivated for discipline? One is the holiness. I looked, we looked at that last week. Be holy, for I am holy. It is that simple. God says, you know what? You're not your own. You've been bought and paid for with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You're not your own. So be set apart from them. Separate from them. Listen, it doesn't mean all of a sudden we go live in a commune somewhere. It's just that the things that drive the lost Should not have an effect on us. Shouldn't have an effect on us. I know a group of churches right now that have stepped into fantasy football leagues because it helps men bond. Uh, Really? Can you tell me what verse it says that I'm supposed to bond with men? I'd like to know that one. I'm not sure where that one's at. Okay. And you know what? They're debating whether fantasy football is gambling or not. Are we that stupid? I mean, you put your money into a pool and then you try to pick who you think the best player so you score points off of that player? And that's not what we used to call that cards. Okay? But we didn't have to wait till once a week to play. Um, this is stuff that I don't understand. Okay, that isn't what we're here for. We are to be holy. I want to move on into this a little farther though because we looked at it. First part, this is the third time I'm coming to you and then part of two, I have previously said when present the second time and now now absent I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Why do we bring to focus discipline? Why do we call sin a sin? You know, it's not a morally challenged person. It's sin. It was the thing that you were saved from. Okay, the world. If you listen to our our world now, our society now, what used to be good is now evil. And what was evil is now good. All right. And once you twist that, okay, what happens to justice? Okay. It's gone. It's gone. And yet the church should stand out and call good, good and evil, evil. And it's amazing that there is no, uh, you know, well, we don't want to cause conflict. Huh. I remember talking to a pastor here in town and I was reading a book. The author is considered controversial. Okay, but he just speaks truth. And in this day and age, it's classified as controversial. So I asked this pastor, I said, have you read this book? Because it was dealing with leadership. He said, no. He says, I have learned as a pastor that I stay away from controversial writings. Really? He says, yes, yes. He says, there's enough conflict in our world today that I just stay away from controversial writings. I said, well, can I ask you a question? And he said, what's that? I said, what do you do with the four Gospels? Because the subject of those four writings, they murdered. And he was a tad bit controversial. Part of the reason that we deal with sin and we discipline sin is to bring repentance Direct in repentance, but we're also wanting to bring restoration, restoration. We want people to be in the place of God's blessings. Okay, sin keeps you out of that place. Did you know that? It doesn't mean you lost your salvation. It just means you're useless. Right? And you forfeit God's blessings. It is normally taught today that discipline, disciplining a sinning Christian. Listen, I'm not talking about lost people. All right. Judgment begins where? The household of God. We hold each other accountable. That's why we have this thing we call church. We can help each other. It isn't that we run around and condemn each other. We try to help you walk holy. Help you walk worthy. And I'll deal with this in the method of discipline. Because it ain't what you think. I have run into those Christians who has got the wrinkled up forehead and do this all the time. And they're always the ones that says, Well, how can you be a believer and have a beard? Well, how can you be a believer and ride a motorcycle? Well, how can you be? And I'm like, man, where in the Bible are you getting that? All right. It doesn't say that we are to be perfect. It says, be holy, be set apart. What is the focus of your life? What is your attitude focused on? Money? 401ks? Investment? Stock options? What What is it you're focused on? Because, see, that's what the world focuses on. And if that's your driving motivation, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. Why? You look just like the world. If you look just like the world, what do you have to offer them? See, I can tell you, I offer you eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Voltaire, the French philosopher, said, I would be inclined to believe in your Redeemer if you could show me a redeemed life. Why? Because the church has always had an issue that they look just like the world. Some will teach you that discipline is unloving. If you discipline someone, where is the grace? Because we all know, judge not lest you be judged. Right? Read the verse. Read the verse. Because he's telling you to do it. But make sure you ain't got a beam in your own eye before you've messed with the speck in your brother's eye. Okay, and if I've got something in my eye, keep your finger out of it. No, I heard a guy describe it this way. To discipline fellow believers, I like that, is an intrusion into people's private lives. That's why I can ask Christians now, or those who take the name, what were you saved from? And 11 out of 10 will say hell. And that is not what you were saved from. You were saved from sin. Saved from sin. Truthfully, as I have in my life, and as I read the times of Paul, discipline may be the single strongest expression of love. Have you you been in a store? I'm going to get in trouble, but too bad. Have you ever been in a store or a restaurant here lately? And see the interaction between parents and children. Something has happened. I see kids in restaurants or stores. Had I done that, my dad would have knocked me into next month. And he'd have done it in public. Okay? And you know what? He'd only done it once because it would have left a lasting impression. But I was at the store the other day and what I saw there was terrifying. And I thought, what happened to disciplining your children? Okay, if you're not going to, please do not go out in public. There are some people out there who don't want that, but I've seen it everywhere. It, it doesn't matter, and and I thought, but there's nobody disciplining it. And then I start talking to some of these people. Now I don't walk up and say, "Why don't you knock that kid out?" I don't. That ain't what I. I don't do that. I I will talk to people and I ask them some questions, and I, and what you'll find out is the parent wants to be their friend. Okay? Well, you're the parent. <laughs> you you might want to get that one done first and then try to find a friend. See, love seeks to protect objects of love from anything that would harm them. Okay? That's true love. It's to protect the one that object of your love from something that would harm him. And you know what? I don't know of anything more damaging to a believer than unrepentant sin. I don't. And you know what? An unrepentant sinning believer is the most miserable creature on the planet. They're out of God's grace. They're out of God's blessing. They look just like the world, but guess what? The world hates them. And they're in open rebellion to their king. It forfeits God's blessing. And you know what else? Besides forfeiting God's blessing, it brings about God's chastening. And let me tell you something. God can make you absolutely miserable. And he can do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And all he's doing is lovingly calling you back to that relationship. It's, it's like we've all had our, our children. and You'll have the, the cooktop on the range and the kids do like this trying to walk around. And you say, no, that's hot. And he slapped their hand and they look at you and they're mad. And you know, mommy don't love me no more. And you know, I'm wait till daddy comes home. How many of you would say, okay, junior, let me show you what hot is. Grab that child's hand and stick it on that hot burner and hold it there indefinitely. But you'll learn what hot is. Is that loving? No. That's what sin is. That's what sin is. Peter describes it as a dog returning to its vomit. Okay? So let's take someone we love, puke, and say, knock yourself out. Because I love you. Right? Everybody's like, oh, God, we never thought of it that way. But that's the way it is. And so when we call somebody on sin... What are we trying to tell him? This is going to harm you. You really might want to rethink this. And I'll help you walk in it. Listen, the Apostle Paul not only taught and preached discipline. Paul also practiced it. We already looked at this last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. A man in the church in Corinth had his father's wife. And he says... Pagans don't even do that. And you guys are celebrating it. What is the matter with you? But he also did it to a young protege, Timothy, who he left at the church in Ephesus to straighten out some things. First Timothy, chapter one, verse 20. Among these are Harminius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so they will be taught not to blaspheme. Okay, now, most people believe that Harmonius and Alexander were some type of leadership because he begins to teach on leadership in chapter 3, kind of reestablishing what church leadership is. And he's in this text, in 2 Corinthians, he says, I will not spare anyone. He's basically telling them, I'm going to do it again. If I come back and there hasn't been a change, I'm going to deal with it. He was wanting to spare the Corinthians. Because I've had conversations before with people. It's amazing to me at times. When I've had dealings as a pastor. uh, and, And the question. And I've been approached by men and women. When can a Christian divorce? Okay. Now I already know what the problem is right there. Okay. You're trying to find permission. And that's why I always tell them, I said, well, read the book of Hosea and see what you conclude. And if you haven't read Hosea, you don't know what I'm talking about and you can do that before the Broncos don't play till late, so you've got plenty of time to read Hosea. Okay? And, and I, I, I read that and I, and I think, well, what you're trying to do, and, and it's funny because if you meet them as a couple, He knows what she's doing wrong. She knows what he's doing wrong. Well, I know what the problem is. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Okay, you worry about yourself. God will take care of your spouse. Paul says, I'll do it again, but I don't want to have to do this. People. Now, I have seen people who like confrontation. And what I mean by confrontation, they like to point out your sins or your shortcomings or whatever it is, because that makes them feel better. All right. I myself, I don't like to. But I've also been put into a place that I have to. But I never get involved with it unless I am adamant that I'm going to walk with them. Paul had already made a statement in this letter. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. See, he wanted the Corinthians to understand the blessing, mercy and comfort of the Lord. He had warned that the sinning members on his second trip to warn them then to repent. And he was present with them. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 21. He'd already told them. I've already dealt with this. And he says, as well, in this text, when I come back, the third trip, I'm not going to spare anyone. Why? You've received, this would be his third letter and two trips. Okay? So, the time of grace and mercy is running out. I'm coming back the third time. you If you read there at the end of verse two, it says, I will not spare anyone. Spare anyone is phidomai, phidomai, okay? And it's used in Greek literature to speak of sparing one's life on the battlefield, phidomai, right? It's, a, it's an idea of in a battle of having mercy on, uh, on a vanquished enemy, sparing them. That's the terminology he's using here. Now remember, we started in chapter 10 and we started seeing the essence of Spiritual warfare. And part of spiritual warfare is sanctification, is being holy. It is a battle for your mind. Speculations and lofty things raised up against the truth knowledge of Jesus Christ. But our battle is not with flesh and blood. It is with principalities and powers in high places. But we tear down those fortifications. We Christ the enemy. Why? But don't make me not have to spare you. Okay? Remember we went through the seven churches of Asia Minor. Two out of five. Okay? Five of them were called by the Lord Himself to repent. Change what you're doing. Two of them didn't. Now, listen, it's not because Smyrna and Philadelphia were perfect churches. It was because when sin was there, oh, that's sin. And they repented because, you know, what things that some know and some don't know. You just can't go around with a big old bat smacking people who are sinning. You can gently point it out. I do it in, uh, in this mannerism. Where is that in the Bible? Or have you not read? Okay. I know people who like to go throw accusations just because it gives them something to do and they feel spiritual. My problem is, is that if you see any brother, you who are spiritual see any brother in any trespass, what do you do? Bear that Burden, And it literally means in the original language to get up under a donkey's whose load is so heavy that the donkey's getting ready to fall. Get up and hold them up until their strength is back. I wish it was easier than that. But it ain't. Paul says the time for grace, mercy and patience is over. It will be over when I return. There are no more warnings. When Paul returned, he would deal with the sinners, the unrepentant sinners in the Corinthian church. Those who refuse would get exactly what their sin called for. To the point he would kick people out of the church. Think about that. See, that isn't a fear today. We could care less if you kick me out of the church. I fifty three other churches I can go to. Doesn't bother me at all. But you know what? Sin has a consequence. And it's more than just getting kicked out. Think about this. The world hates Christians. Jesus told us they would. And I can look around and say, amen. It's very obvious. Okay? To get kicked out of the fellowship of believers, where are you going to land? Amongst the people of... Who hate you. And I'm sure they'll strengthen you. Fix your wounds. Heal you. They failed to repent. He would find Paul. A tad bit. Unpleasant. He said it in verse 20 of chapter 12. For I'm a. Afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you not to be not what I wish. That's sort of a sneaky way of saying we're not gonna be smiling at each other. But then he says this, and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That's one of those, ooh, ooh. Listen, in 1 Corinthians, the first letter that we have, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 and 15, Paul considered them his spiritual children. And his spiritual children were in a state of disobedience. Look at children that you see today in the shopping centers or the restaurants or out in public. They seem to be in a state of what? Disobedience. Disobedience. And you know what? There's a cure for that. There always has been. I remember my dad took a belt to me one time, and I made a note of that. Okay? And he never had to do it again. If he told me to stop, it was like anti-lock brakes. I'm stopped. Okay? And I didn't even, I wasn't even brave enough to say, well, why? I watch kids want to debate it. And I'm like, you know what? I made you. I can make another. You know, you want to see my Jesus now? But we don't do that. The same thing should be in a church. We have spiritual children. We should be protecting them. We should have such an amazing love for them that we don't want them to fall into harm. You know what? Most of the time you can just say, well, I don't think that's right. You don't have to fight them. You don't have to smack them. Because of Paul's tremendous love, he had had to discipline them. Why? He had to bring them back to the place of obedience. He had to bring them back to the place where they stood in a, a society that was awful. I mean... We don't have anything in the United States that can compare to the city of Corinth. Okay? And, and yet he had to bring them back to that place of holiness that they stood out in the middle of this city. If they continued to not repent, then Paul said, I'll act on it. I will not spare any. Listen, do we understand? This is for God's glory. This isn't to make people miserable. This isn't to make people, you know, all grumpy old Christians because I can't do this and I need to do this and I don't do. That ain't it. This is to bring glory to God and purity and holiness to the church. So that the church stands out in an evil society. I know you don't think that Castle is an evil society, but it is. Very. Why do we have such a heroin problem? Heroin? Yeah. Heroin. I can tell you why. The drug dealers have learned that there's cash in the suburbs. They ain't no cash in the inner cities. Let's go where the kids have gotten money. I remember when I was working for the school district. This is years ago. This would have been the early 80s. I was working out, I had gone into Ponderosa and they had a sign above the cafeteria, you know, you go in line and get your trade of food. It says, We will no longer break fifty or hundred dollar bills. Dude, I was forty years old before I knew what a hundred dollar bill was. And you got kids walking in with fifties and hundreds, and you wonder why they can get heroin. Paul did not hesitate to confront sin in the churches, especially those who were under his care. He was adamant about it. Also, if you don't confront it, besides the well-being of the believer who refuses to repent, what does it do to the gospel message? It goes back to, I ask people, what were you saved from? Hell! Hell! No, you weren't. I mean, that is a bonus. But you're saved from sin. If you go to Galatians, Paul, I showed you in 1 Corinthians 5 that he dealt with a man living in immorality, but he confronted sin. In Galatians chapter 1, I always tell everybody. Galatians is like the letter of Romans. OK, I mean, it is doctrinally astute. The problem is Galatians. He's mad. OK, and in Romans, he, he's not mad. If you, if you ever see somebody who's mad, they're very short, bang, 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 and they're done. OK, if we're just discussing it, it's a long conversation. If you're mad, it's a short conversation. Galatians is a short conversation. Paul is mad and you can sort of see an idea of it here in chapter one, verse six. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That's kind of got some oofta to it. I mean, he's got him a little bit of an attitude. False teachers had come in behind the Apostle Paul. Galatia is actually a region and they were in the churches stirring up disturbing people. Okay, that's sharp wording. And he's mad at the church for tolerating it. Look what he says. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. See, Paul was willing to confront sinners. Get a hold of this. This letter would have been passed around to all the churches in the Galatia area. And it's not one of encouragement. It's saying, you know what? You're in a battle and you're getting your lunch handed to you. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Okay, listen, that is confrontive. That is very, very confrontive. I confront you to prove to you I'm not a man pleaser. I'm a God pleaser. God wants you holy. This is his will. He would confront. He was fearless. How fearless was he? Chapter two, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. You know who Cephas is? Peter. Now think about that for a second. I confronted Peter to his face. Now, Peter's the one who got out of the boat. Did you know that? Okay, Peter and John had a ministry. Peter's first sermon, only 5,000 people got saved. That's fresh out of seminary. All right. Peter had the ability to do signs and wonders. All right. Peter was rebuked face to face by the Lord Jesus Christ and then restored face to face by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Peter. Peter, the leader of the twelve. Peter, the spokesman of the apostles. And Paul said, I confronted him to his face. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentile. Okay, James is the Lord's brother. He's the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Alright, some guys came from the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Up until that time, Peter would eat with Gentiles when these Jews from Jerusalem showed up. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. With the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel... I said, now think about what he just said there. You're not being truth to the gospel. Who's he saying that to? Peter. I said to Cephas, in present of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? I don't care what you say. At right there At in your face He was not the only one. You can go over to uh Second Thessalonians Second Thessalonians chapter three verse ten. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. For such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion, eat their own food. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. That's wild right there now. Timothy in Ephesus, I already shared with you that verse, chapter 1, verse 120. Harminius and Alexander have sent outside to have Satan to teach their flesh a lesson, not to blaspheme. Understand. It's easy to say, okay, here's what discipline looks like, but you've got to understand the compassion and mercy that is involved in it. See, a lot of times we think discipline is just being mean. I'm just going to be mean to you. No, there's compassion and love and mercy that is all involved in it. Love and discipline are not separate entities. We try to make it that way. Well, if you love somebody, you don't discipline them. Really? Really? Now, I've seen some children in that way, but I don't think that's a good plan. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now, I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Chapter 12, verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? He loved them. He loved them. I, I just wish we can understand that. 1 John says, he who says he's without sin calls God a liar. Okay? So anybody in this room thinks they're sinless, you just called God a liar. Just a word of wisdom. All right? And, and I share that with you. But let me show you something. Because, because of our love for one another, all right, We should understand there's times we're going to have to point out things to each other. It might hurt our feelings. What's the alternative? Let them continue to forfeit God's blessing. Let them continue to be unuseful. Well, let me give you a little wisdom from the book of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 11 and 12. People like the book of Proverbs. It's wise. So wise, it helps us. Well, check out this one. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. I like that one. Because you can't separate love and discipline. Listen, Paul didn't tolerate sin. If it was evident to him, he dealt with it. You know one of the things I've learned? That's the key to leadership. It's the key to leadership. Listen, here's the thing, and I'll close with this, because next week we'll move into the method of discipline. But this is key. Paul knew that unrepentant sin in the church. All right? Just a little one. You know, the little one the 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 gray sin, not not the black sin, the gray one. Paul knew that it would infect it would sicken it would cause weakness, and if left unattended, would destroy the church. Did you hear what I said? Because you know what's amazing about the seven churches of Asia Minor? You can go visit the ruins of the cities. They're not there anymore. Okay? You know what's amazing about the city of Corinth? It's an archaeological dig. There's nothing there. And if there's nothing there, that means there is no church. Remember, brothers and sisters, unrepentant sin in the body of Christ will cause the lampstand to be removed. Okay? What is the lampstand? It's the thing that holds up the light. (laughs) Okay? There's nothing more crushing to a pastor than unrepenting sin. A pastor is the lampstand. He holds it up. All right, now I want want you to, there's one last thing I, I want you to think about. Okay, and this sets the stage for next week as we move into the method for discipline. Okay, Paul's last letter that he ever wrote. A young man named Timothy, is a Mammatean prison in Rome. Okay. Paul's still straightening out the stuff and the churches in Asia Minor, Ephesus in that area. In Second Timothy chapter two, beginning at verse twenty, Paul speaking to Timothy. These are the last words the Apostle Paul will write. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood, of earthenware. And some to honor and some to dishonor. Okay. What's he talking about right there? In the church. In the church. Therefore, listen to what he says. What did he just lay out for you? Honor, dishonor, earthenware, silver, gold. All right. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor. Sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Okay, here's what he says. All right, that makes sense. Sanctified. Ain't that what I'm talking about? Process of sanctification. Process of becoming holy. Process of being set apart from the world. Flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now look what he says next. This is a fascinating text. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. With gentleness correcting, now get what he's just going to say, correcting with gentleness, those who are in opposition. Why? If perhaps, now read what it says, God may grant them. Repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Brothers and sisters, I already told you what the war is. Spiritual warfare is truth against a lie. And we correct with gentleness, praying that God brings them to repentance. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. You know what he just said? There are people in the body of Christ. Who will always be dealing with speculations and quarreling. And all they are there for. Is to do the will of Satan. In the body of Christ. Are you correct gently. Patience with all. Perhaps God will bring him to Repentance.